0: Thank you for listening to the Life Church podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org. Good evening. So good to see all of you. Colby, I feel like I'm really hot. I'm barely talking. I'm going to just share a little while he kind of gets me set. It's been a while since we've been in here and uh, dealt with all this side of things. <laughs> uh, we kind of got spoilt to being in the parking lot because when you're in a parking lot, who cares about sound? You just go for it. You just, whatever, it don't even matter. Uh, we couldn't hear ourselves half the time anyway, so, uh, so now we're back in here and we're trying to get everything lined out. I'm excited to share with you guys tonight. I, uh... I feel like, uh, like Dad said Sunday morning, I I don't have a sermon at all. Uh, I just, I want to share with you where I feel like just Holy Spirit has put, uh, not only me, but me and my wife, uh, and just letting us to feel and understand what's happening in the body, uh, what's happening in our church family, kind of where we're at. So I kind of want to do a, um, one of those, like when you're at the mall or you're at a theme park and it has the sign, it's like, you are here, Uh, I kind of want to do one of those tonight. Uh, to get where you're supposed to be, where you're intended to be, you got to know where you're at. Uh, so tonight, I want to kind of just do that, and I'm going to use Jeremiah 18. I thought Colby put it up there for me. Uh, if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles to Jeremiah 18, we're going to read a little bit there, but I'm going to jump to a few other places, and then we're going to come back and kind of reestablish that again. Uh I really just want to read like the first two verses, okay? And then we'll come back, we'll dissect, dive more in. Uh, I'm going to use kind of some of the stuff that came out in our time together this morning with the guys. It was incredible. But Jeremiah chapter 18, are y'all there? <laughs> it's in the Old Testament, it's right after Isaiah. <laughs> I had to wait on one of our ministry leaders to find a book in the Bible think I'm going to start a new class for our leaders. <laughs> I'm going to let Stephen teach it. For real, this dude knows his books of the Bible. Blows my mind. All right, Jeremiah chapter 18. The word of the Lord which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something at the wheel. I want to stop right there. This is actually what kind of the experience that me and my wife just had. We just didn't realize it. I thought I was being an incredible husband and surprising my wife with a three day trip to Waco, Texas, to spend the whole three days with Magnolia Market and the silos and all that incredible stuff. And so I was so pumped and I surprised her with the trip only to get there and find out they're not opening in this weekend. They have decided to wait a weekend. So the entire weekend we had planned out to spend at Magnolia Market and all that great stuff that Chip and Joanna have built there, which is completely phenomenal, our plans got changed on the spot. So we just started scrambling, and we still had time to kill before we could check into our Airbnb, so we were headed to the little place we were staying, and we stopped by this little general store, and it was called uh, Homestead General Store, I think, and we went in, and it's literally like an old-timey general store, and I know... You may not know this about me, but I'm obsessed with old-timey stuff. Like, I love the whole concept of old-time general stores and just the way things were back then. So we go in here, we're walking around, we're uh, just checking this place out. And when we go to leave, it looks like it drives down into where these people live because we could tell it was a religious group that ran this whole thing. They lived on the property. Well, me being a lot like my dad, I thought, well, let's just drive in there and see so I take a left out of the store and we drive back into this which was a village where all these people live and we come up on this place and it's all kind of shops you can go into it has a big sign and a cafe I'm like we have struck gold so we get out and we start walking through these shops and it's all their handmade stuff they make it right there on the spot and um, went in and found a rocking chair I almost sat in it and then realized it was $4,500 so I avoided it quickly and left the store uh, because they had signs that said you break it you buy it and I couldn't afford to buy anything in there uh, but anyway, we were just going through this. Well, we ended up in a, a potter's house. And literally, that's what it said on the thing, potter's house. And we walk in here and we're admiring it. This is actually a piece I bought from them. They hand make everything literally right there in front of you. You're watching them do it. It was, it was one of the most incredible things I've ever watched happen. And we're in there just hanging out, and Courtney's freaking out. She's like, man, I've always wanted to do pottery, and we're watching the, the ladies make it and do it. And about time we're turning to leave, they have a sign that says, sign up for your pottery class. So we turned around on the spot. We're like, we want to set a schedule. We want to do it right now. So we bought a two-hour class where Courtney got to make some pottery. And surprise, surprise, she killed it. First time she's ever done it. She made four different pieces. We'll get them in about eight weeks. I'm so pumped to get them. Uh, But anyway, we were in this place, so so we get in here, and I found myself in this same thing that we just read in Jeremiah chapter 18. I'm sitting across from my wife, and she's making pottery, and my mind's just, my spirit's just running like so much. Back up. Rewind. I'm going to try not to leave anything out. Before we actually went to the class, we went into the pottery, we signed up for the class, and we left, and we started walking through this little village well, then we popped up on a blacksmith shop, and it was the same way. You could sign up for a class. And I was looking at them dudes, and they thinking, no, <laughs> not this guy. That's grown men in there, bending iron and putting it in the fire. I'll just do the pottery class with my wife. It's cool, bro. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> but we start going through, and we're just checking out all these shops, and it's, I'm, I'm, I'm enamored with handmade things uh, to watch someone take nothing and with their own hands, turn it into something. It, it does something in me. You know what I mean? It, it's why I started building small stuff here in the first place. And, and, and so this whole process had, had just captured me. We went in seeing where they make quilts and dresses. And, I mean, they do it all, literally. Well, while we're doing this little tour of their place, we come up to this huge barn. And on the side of it, it says Plowshare, the Institute for Sustainable Culture, and immediately I took out my phone, took a picture of it, and Courtney's like, what, what's going on? I was like, I feel like the Holy Spirit's just, he just captivated me in this moment, so I, I need to document this. I need to have this to see what's what's happening here, and um, and so after that, we went on to the trip. It was a very different trip for us. We didn't talk a lot. I don't know, and I don't mean that as a negative thing. I feel like we're always, there's always that pressure of you got to be talking constantly and communicating. Sometimes, you don't, <laughs> and it's okay. Now, there are some times you do need to communicate, you, but we were both, I feel like, processing so much spiritually and so many things were happening, and we did have great dinner talks and things like that, but I just began to process all this, and Holy Spirit just began to deal with me, and I was hung up on this idea that these, these people, this, this group had created a, had, had carved out an area and created a place that was self-sustaining. They didn't need you they didn't need the government, they didn't need anyone else. They could literally do life and have everything they needed without touching an outside source. They raised their own animals, they planted their own gardens, they made their own clothes and pottery and all, which now it looks like they're moved on and I'm sure they buy stuff. Now they just make it and sell stuff. But But I was just captivated by this whole process, and then God took me into Jeremiah chapter 18, and I began to see that God told him, I need you to go to this potter's house, and if you'll go to the potter's house, then you'll hear what I have to say. And I realized when I thought I was booking my wife an incredible surprise trip to Waco to see Magnolia, it was actually God telling me, I need to get you two to the potter's house, because I need to tell you some things. And I want to do it by showing you God is such a visual God. I know he himself may not be seeable, but he is so visual. I mean, look around you. Everything is the creation of his imagination. And and so when you understand that, he took us to this place and he began to speak to me. And so from there, he took me into some other things that I want to start. How do I say this? I want to start back further And us get to Jeremiah chapter 18. So we've established this right here, and this is where we're headed. But I'm actually going to start in 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read several things from the Passion Translation tonight. uh, Mostly because it's incredible and I love it. Uh, Actually, the scriptures I'm using tonight would have worked. I mean, they would have been just the same if I'd have done them out of any translation. I just love the Passion Translation. I want you to just look at these scriptures, and then we're going to build on this, and we're going to get ourselves to Jeremiah 18. Y'all ready? Did I tell y'all where we were at? 1 Peter 1, 17. I'm going to read probably 17 through 19. It says, Since you call on him as your heavenly father, the impartial judge, who judges according to each one's works, live each day with a holy awe and reverence throughout your time on earth. That's such a huge statement. Live each day with a holy awe and a reverence throughout your time on earth. This is where we're going to kind of hang our hat to get this started. For you know that your lives were ransomed once and for all from the empty and futile way of a life handed down from generation to generation. This is, this is what I want you to catch. You were ransomed from a futile way of life that was handed down from generation to generation. It was not a ransom payment of silver and gold, which eventually perishes, but the precious blood of Jesus Christ, who like a spotless, unblemished lamb was sacrificed for us. Now you need to understand that Jesus, that, not Jesus, Peter, Peter is talking to religious people. And he's talking about the fact that before Christ, it was, what does he use? Payments of silver and gold and sacrifices were the things that you had to use to atone for where you were at. But now from Jesus Christ, there was one sacrifice made, and that sacrifice was enough. That being said, what does he say the sacrifice did for us? It ransomed us once and for all from an empty and futile way of life that was handed down from generation to generation I want you to check out this word futile. Uh, this is kind of where I got hung up because he's dealing with a futile way of life. He came and ransomed us. He saved us from the futility of life. So, so what is that? What does that look like? And the actual word futile means incapable of producing any results. I'm going to say that again for you all that are taking notes. Futile means incapable of producing any results. So what did he save us from? He saved us from a life that was incapable of producing any results. Oh, come on. So he saved us, this actually says, from the traditions that were passed down. And those traditions being passed down had no, they were incapable of producing any results. They had laws and systems and rituals that had been passed down year after year after year, and it was incapable of producing any real results. So Jesus shows up and said, I'm about to make one sacrifice, and because of that one sacrifice, I will change you from being incapable to produce results to prepared and ready and able. But what I really want you to understand and how we're going to connect this together is the word futile actually comes from the word futilis. And futilis means leaky. How, so the futile is incapable of producing results. If you have a container that is leaky, it's incapable of producing the result you need it to produce. I'm not an illustrated preacher, that's not my thing, and usually I'm almost kind of in the other way about illustrations. But in prayer today, I've seen this visually, so I'm going to get Stephen to come up here and just give us a quick look at what I'm talking about. Come on, Bob. I'm going to show you what it looks like before this experience with Christ, before things happen, that, makes, that looks like a futile life, that looks like incapable of producing results, that's just leaky, so, Stephen, what I want you to do, I want you to come here, I want you to take this thing, I want you to dip that water out of there with that thing. Okay? See, the goal is I need to transfer something from here to somewhere else. I have possession of something that I would like to get from here to there. He said, I want you to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done from one place to another place. But the problem was, Stephen, get you another dip and try I want you to, no, I don't want you to do that. You get all my stuff away. I want you to try to hold some water in this, all right? The problem is, in the old way before Jesus, every time God wanted to transfer something, this is what happened. We lived in a feudal system that had no ability to produce results. So no matter how many times he dips this, when he goes to fill something else up, it's empty. He said, I'm trying to get what I have to another location, and I need a vessel that can do it. See, if you know your Bible, you know Timothy gave us a really good lesson on vessels, and he taught us that you are a vessel, and there's different types of vessels. But he really taught us that in, in verse, chapter 2, verse 21, he said there's a vessel of honor that's sanctified and useful. Come on, oh, come on. Why does God need a useful vessel? Because he has so much of something. And he needs to transfer this something into another location. I'm praying your kingdom come. What you possess come. And be in another location. He said, Well, according to my law for me to do that, I need a vessel that I can take. Why, why, why make Jesus flesh and put him on earth? Because according to God Himself, he needed a vessel. And he said, All the vessels on earth are too leaky. So, Jesus, what I need you to do, I'm gonna wrap some clay around you. I'm gonna put, I'm gonna put the word on the wheel and I'm going to spin him into what I want him to look like. That way I can fill him up. I can put him on earth and he'll transfer what I have wherever I need it. So Jesus shows up to a world of this incapable of producing the result according to, 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 to Timothy, 2 Timothy incapable of being useful and said, I'm about to send Jesus, who's gonna make one sacrifice, and he's gonna do away with feudal systems, feudal lifestyles. Thank you, buddy. I may call you back up in a minute. So 2 Timothy 2 and 21 says, There are also vessels of honor that are sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So Jesus comes up on the scene, makes a sacrifice. To make us sanctified, useful, and prepared. These are the three things that come from the sacrifice that Jesus made. So he shows up and says, I'm about to take you from this leaky vessel, this futility that every time I try to do something in you on Sunday, Monday, it's leaked out. I'm about to just get in your mail now. See, because I show up on a Sunday morning and you feel so strong and you feel so incredible and you feel like you could storm hell with a water pistol. But on Monday, so much has already leaked through your futility that one bad word from a coworker and you forget all about Sunday morning. And we live in this futility and it's not the lack of God pouring out. It's the lack of our ability to be useful to maintain, it's the futility of humans. It's the futility of mankind. In preparing for this, I went through this study and began to look at where the Bible deals with futility. And by that, I don't mean just everywhere it says futile or futility. I mean where it deals with futility. And it, do, I mean, the scriptures are endless. He talks about your own personal thoughts are futile. Your own religious ways without knowing Christ is futile. Your your ability to hear the word and never respond to it is futile. That's why the Bible says when you hear the word and you don't respond to it, Satan will snatch it from you. There's an ability for it to be removed from you. That's called futility. It's called futility. So Jesus shows up to change the game. And this is where we find ourselves in Jeremiah. Chapter 18. Let's go back over there. Y'all ready? I I, I know that was a really quick foundation, but I need you to hold on to that, all right? Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 1. The word of the Lord, which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something at the wheel. Let, let, Let me catch something real quick right here. God said, I want to tell you some things, but I need you to be in this place to do it. How many times in our own personal lives has God had personal revelation to pour out on you, but because of our lack of obedience, we never reach the revelation? God said, I have something I want to show you, and I want to tell you, but I need you to go here to get it. I need you to walk to this place to get it. I need you to engage this person to get it. I need you to respond to this to get it. And our lack of obedience removes us from the potential of revelation. So often we accuse God of being silent when in reality it's not God's silence, it's our disobedience. God's desire is to show and direct and lead and teach and all these incredible things. But he does it at your pace. He told Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house and there I will cause you to hear my voice. So what did Jeremiah do? The only feasible thing to do. He gets up and goes where God told him to be. Goes to the place. And I love that when he gets there, it says, and God caused him to hear the voice. He didn't get there and strive for it and work it up and have a long prayer meeting and do all that. He just put himself where he was supposed to be. And God said, here, I'm going to cause this to happen. Often, finding yourself in the place that he is called to be is the most pivotal thing you can do as it relates to receiving revelation from heaven. Verse 4, And the vessel that was made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Before I go to that, I want to show you something. As I was sitting across from my wife and she was making pottery, she was sculpting this little bowl and then a vase and a cup, all these different things. I was watching this, this master that was teaching her. She was incredible right of course we found out she'd been doing it for what like 18 years or something like that and she was phenomenal to watch how she made the clay just do all these things but what i was intrigued by is when i read this the translation says and it was marred in the hand of the potter the vessel uh the clay was marred in the hand of the potter you have to be careful here because you'll think there was already a vessel there but if it was already a, an actual vessel that was finished, he couldn't mar and remake it. It's, it's, if you know anything about pottery, once it's a finished product, you don't put it back on the wheel and bring it down. That's not how it works. It was still clay. It was still very moldable. And I begin to realize something as she was teaching Courtney how to make this thing. As soon as she put it on there, it just looks like this. You just throw it on there so hard and you beat down on it. You get it secured and then that wheel takes off. And I also found out Courtney had to set the right speed. She couldn't go too fast, or you'd sling it off the wheel. She couldn't go too slow, or it wouldn't mold the right way. So, so the, the one with their hands on the clay had to determine the speed at which the clay was moving. And, and, and while she was doing that, she would say, uh, the, the master would say, All right, now we're going to do our first pull. And and Courtney would put her hands. And what's crazy is when when she was doing it, you don't actually pull up on it, you apply pressure towards the bottom of it, and as you pressure the bottom, it naturally begins to rise and come up, and so as she would apply pressure and bring it up, I would think, oh, this is awesome. You're watching it grow right in front of you. I'm, I mean, there was kids in the room that weren't freaking out like I was, and I'm just like enamored by this thing, and she pulls it up, and she, it's starting to look like a vase or something. I'm like, oh, man, this is awesome, and then the master of the class says, all right, now push it back down. And so she takes this thing that was pulled up and it's starting to look like a vessel and just smashes it back down onto the wheel. And I'm thinking, I thought we were building something here. And then she says, all right, we're going to pull it up again. She she applies pressure and it starts coming up again. And it starts looking like something in the moment. She says, all right, we're going to smash it right back down again. And she does that and does it over and over until the clay and the wheel are perfectly balanced. I'm just going to let it preach for you. So, she, so there was a moment of coming up that feels awesome. Right, Come on, It feels so good like this is it. I've got it now. I'm fixing to become something. And the master says it's a little off balance and pushes it back down again. And I'm thinking, God... <laughs> I know you're the master and all, but I feel like I've done been pulled up so many times. And when I feel like I'm right there at that place, all of a sudden something just smashes me back down again. And the problem is if he left me up there, I'd always be off balance, I'd never be in sync with the wheel. Come on, I need you to preach the will in your mind. I'd never be in rhythm with his will. I'd never be in balance with his will. I might look good, but I'd be out of balance with his will. And so no matter how many times, she literally told Courtney, we'll do this until it's right. Not until you get tired of it. Not until you think it should be over. We're going to do this and we're going to apply pressure. And that pressure is going to feel like too much. But then you shoot up. And you think, oh, the pressure was worth it until all of a sudden right back down again because something was off balance. And he begins to work. So when you see the vessel was, uh, uh, the vessel that he made, the clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he remade it. That's what you're seeing. You're seeing that potter bring it up. And it's spinning and it's, it don't feel right. It pushes it back down again. And he pull it back up again. And the process is one of the most incredible things I've ever personally watched happen in front of me. And what was even pretty amazing, and we'll just kind of teach this as like a side note on it. Uh, when Courtney would be on the first couple of them, where Courtney was still trying to figure it out, she'd be trying to get it to come up and look like a vase, and it looked uh, something. It looked like something. You could tell what it was going to be, but you, you, I wouldn't call it a vase yet. And the master would walk up and say, just just let me. And she wouldn't touch it for two seconds. She'd be like, oh, it's a vase. She did it. Just, I mean, she just knew just where to squeeze, how to apply pressure, when to let go, when to come in, when to squeeze the top. She knew all of the things that had to be done for it to become the vessel that was in her imagination. So I began to watch, and God just began to speak to me about the process and that so many times we get really frustrated because why did I feel like I was finally up here? And then all of a sudden, it all... And what happens is too often you give too much credit to the enemy as if he was strong enough to push down what God pulled up. Oh, come on now. See, see the thing is, we turn around and start blaming the devil. And I got to believe God's in heaven thinking, you really think... If I pulled this up, that this joker, who the Bible says when you see him, you will say, this guy? This is the one that gave me so much? You think he has the power to do this? So what happens is, see, in your mind you think, oh, well, that doesn't seem that bad. But what you're actually doing is subconsciously you're saying God has removed his hands and you're in the hands of the enemy. See, you, you, you wouldn't say that, but your mind is thinking, if the enemy pushed me down, he had to take God's hands off to do it. Oh, come on. Verse 5, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter? Says the Lord. Catch this phrase. This is the phrase that has been rocking me. Look as the clay is in the potter's hand, so you are in my hands. Let me tell you, Life Church, in this crazy spinning pressure up and down and smashed and spun and all this, you're going, can I tell you, you're in His hands. The Master Potter has you on the wheel and He's doing some things. The worst thing you could do right now is ask Him to take you off the wheel. The worst thing we can do is say, God, this is too much, or believe enough that the enemy's doing it, that we remove ourselves from the wheel. When in reality, he's applying pressure, and he's bringing us up, and he's bringing us down, and he's making it balanced. And he's getting everything just right before he moves on. And this morning, we were talking about this, and as I begin to share and read the scriptures, the Holy Spirit just came into our, to the room this morning in the meeting and began to speak to us and show us where we were at, what we were going through. And in it, uh, Kamal made a statement and you use the word crash. You know what I mean? We were talking about, man, you feel like you just come up and, and, and maybe you get to minister or you do something. You just feel like you're up here. And then he said, and then there's the crash. And he kept using that terminology. And, and I was over here in prayer, I'd just kind of hanging out this evening, and, and the Holy Spirit just spoke to me. And I don't mean to just put you on blast, Kamal, but you know how it is. He just spoke to me and he said, no, it's not a crash because a crash implies that it was an accident or that it was unintentional you don't on purpose have a crash a crash is an accident but if so that that would imply that it was it was unintentional so if you have in your mind that the fall the crash the come down was unintentional then you don't have the possibility to grow from the intentionality of it come on you got to hear this it's so intentional that if you think it was an accident, you'll blow it off. Oh, well, I didn't do this, or I didn't do that, or I should have done this. Or, and we, and we just we consider it a head-on collision. Oh man, I was just doing so good and I ran into the enemy and we crashed and he knocked me off course. No, 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 you're not off course. This wasn't an accident, it wasn't a crash. It was very intentional because there was something off balance and he'll bring you down as low as he has to to make sure you're balanced. To make sure you're in rhythm with his wheel. So however many times he has to bring it down. And then when she finally... Brought it up for the last time, and and, and the master approved and said, all right, we're balanced. This is where we want it. I was like, here we go. And guess what she did? You guessed it. We're balanced. And she smashed it down again. Of course, she didn't just smash it. She has a really imperfect way of doing it. But she just took the whole thing down again to where it looked like that original that just threw on there. And then when she had it there, And she had brought it up and down and up and down. The first time, probably what? Five or six times, was it? It felt like forever. I was thinking, God, Courtney's never going to get this right. (laughs) She brought it down that last time. She said, everything's balanced. She smashes it back down. And then she starts teaching Courtney how to begin to open it up. Begin to prepare it to receive whatever they're going to put in it later. (laughs) Golly, what's crazy is they start preparing it to receive before it even looks like what it's going to be to receive it see the problem is at that moment you can't even say oh that's a bowl that's a vase that's a cup that's a little match holder they had all kind of cool stuff there they even had a match holder that you could strike it on the side of it How? I don't even anyway you don't even know what it looks like yet and yet it's already being prepared to receive what it's intended for. See, the problem is we will hinder our ability to receive because we're so obsessed with what it's going to look like. Well, well, well am I going to be a, a minister? Am I going to be this? Am I going to be that? And what am I going to do in the church? And what is my purpose? And what is my goal? And he said, I ain't even there yet. I just need to know you can receive. That's all I need to know right now is that you can receive something. And once you can receive something, then we'll start bringing it up into what it's going to look like. She had to bring it up. She had to prepare it to receive. Once she had it opened up and ready to receive, there was another very, very important step that took place. And she gave Courtney this little, uh, I don't know what you call it. It was like a little pointy pin looking thing. She said, now before we move on, You're going to stick this all the way through the bottom, and we have to make sure the foundation is exactly a quarter of an inch. Was it a quarter of an inch? Something like that. She said, so if it's not right, you're going to have to pressure it again. You're going to have to push it down again. You're going to have to pull it up, whatever you're going to do. So the foundation had to be just right before anything could start going upwards. So they would check it and check it, and then they would begin to bring this thing up. And I could just see this master potter doing all these steps, and I mean, they had a a thing on the table where it showed you all the steps, and it was just it was like this big, and just tons of different things. And after he went through all these steps, he, she started bringing it up into what it was going to be. And at one point, I was so I was so amazed because she was making a vase, so it was going to be a little taller. And it had to come out at the bottom and the end at the top and just watching how they make the clay do all these different things. But at one point she grabbed it because she wanted to squeeze the top in on the neck like a vase. When she grabbed it and squeezed it in, you could see the part above her hand starting to do like this. It was just like, I was thinking, oh, we're about to lose it. We're about to lose it all right here at this last moment. But, but the master knew just enough to squeeze it. She kept telling Courtney, you've got to find that place for you where it's tight enough to to mold it, but not so tight that you lose it. And she said, the the important thing is finding that perfect pressure. And the reason I'm saying it has to be so perfect, it has to be so precise, because you have to be so bought in to the fact that he said, just like the potter, you're in my hands. And if you actually trust him like we say we trust him, when the pressure comes, I don't freak out because I know whose hands I'm in. I don't like the pressure, but I'm not leaving. I'm not quitting. I'm not stopping because I know he knows just how much. He knows when I can't. Can't take it. Doesn't the scripture tell us he'll never put more on you than you can bear? Can I tell you? He won't bring in so much pressure that you lose it. He'll bring just enough pressure that it makes you look like he thought you would look. Makes you look like his imagination. And she squeezed it down and just when it looked like she was about to lose it, she just comes up with it. It just looks like this beautiful vase. This beautiful vessel that was now sanctified and useful. Now, now you could do something with it. Because when we first walked up to the table, there was a big clump of clay laying there. And Courtney had to cut the clay. And then she had to knead it, knead it and knead it and knead it before it even got ready for the wheel. And then it's been through all this process, all this time, all this pressure, all this spinning, and now all of a sudden you're looking at, this is useful. I can I can do something with this. I can transport something from here to here with this. See, the first one didn't work, but this one—check that out. I would drink it, but this is East Side water I ain't doing that. <laughs> See, it became something useful, but nothing becomes useful without the process. It—you—you you can't get there without the process. <laughs> nothing becomes. Useful, or I like how this this the trap, nothing becomes a vessel of honor sanctified, useful and prepared for the master, without the process. It's a, it's a preparation. And the pressure is not fun. The spinning makes you dizzy. The ups feel incredible, and the downs don't. But if I can, with everything within me say... I trust that I'm in His hands, then I don't spin out. I don't, I don't lose it. I don't, I don't stop and say, you know what? I just don't think this is for me anymore. Because I, I know whose hands I'm in. I think this all really boils down to us understanding whose hands we're in. Whose will are you on? Because if you truly believe you're on His wheel, everything could be spinning like crazy and you have a peace that surpasses all understanding because you know you're in his hands me and Courtney were sitting at a funky little barbecue joint in Waco Texas and I'm just gonna put her on blast and she made a statement she said you know I really like it here in Waco I was like I love Waco this is probably my favorite area of Texas and she said we could probably make it here I could tell she was just fishing around. I was like, yeah. I was like, I know I could go to work. We could live in this area. It's beautiful here. If you like ranch country, rolling hills, oh, my God. Just, just sit out there and drool over the, over the ge- geographical location. And, and, and so we were just talking. She was like, it would be, you know, it would just be easier. We could just come right over here, just set up shop. And we joked about it. We went back and forth, and then that was it. We didn't say a word. But the Holy Spirit began to show me that all of a sudden that moment, he wasn't actu- that wasn't actually what we wanted to do. We were feeling what the church wanted to do. Because it would just be easier. Come on, if you were honest, you'd say last week you thought, you know what, I think I'm going to pack up and start over. I think I'm going to pick another spot and we're going to do this somewhere else because that would just be easier. And it was like something clicked in us. And like I said, we didn't have to talk about it. But our spirits were so one that by the time we got back here and we come in on a, sun, a Saturday evening late and we, were, we come in on a Sunday morning so committed and ready to invest into a family, to invest into a place, we showed up that morning so, because all of a sudden something had been revealed. Man. And when you know whose hands are on you, you know that changing your location is not the answer. I, I sent this out to the. Uh, I mean, I need to pull it up. I sent this out to the worship team earlier. I was in here in prayer and had some live worship going, and they said this, and it was just so good. I sent it. Uh, I sent it to the worship team. Sorry, I'm in our conversation <laughs> earlier with the elders. <laughs> that was good. Come on. Sorry. In the in the song, he said, "I found a paradise. I found resurrection life." And the Holy Spirit said, I just want to remind you that paradise is is found in the resurrected life, not in your location. Paradise can be wherever you find yourself. Paradise can be in some of the worst places in the world. The paradise is found in an inner life of resurrection. And this is what we're after. I want to pull one more set of scriptures and this is what we're going to close with. Out of the Passion Translation, I'm going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. I'm going to read, I don't know, who knows how much. It says, we are like common clay jars that carry this glorious treasure within. We are just common clay jars. We're just earthen vessels, your translation probably says earthen vessels but we carry a glorious treasure why does he spend so much time on the process because of the glory of what goes in it he we know according to scripture he doesn't just pour himself into anything we that's established he even told us one time i don't put new wine in old wine skins i I, he don't operate like that what he does is he chooses vessels that are sanctified, useful, and prepared for every good work. They're prepared for the master. So it's important. He said, we are just common clay jars, and we carry this treasure within so that the extraordinary overflow of the power will be seen as God's and not ours. Now catch this scripture right here. Y'all ready? Though we experience every kind of pressure, we're not crushed. And at times, we don't know what to do, but quitting is not an option. We are persecuted by others, but God has not forsaken us. We may be knocked down, but we are not out. We continually share in the death of Jesus in our own bodies so that the resurrection life of Jesus will be revealed through our humanity. Oh, my gosh. I was going to skip around, but... We have the same spirit of faith that was described in the scriptures when it says first I believed and then I spoke. So first we believe and then we speak. And we do so because we are convinced that he who raised Christ up from the dead with him and together we will all be brought into his presence. uh, Verse 16 says, so no wonder we don't give up. Golly. No wonder we don't give up, because I know whose hands I'm in. Amen. Amen. I know that, I know that even, though, even though I experience every kind of pressure, it doesn't crush me, because God's not into crushing you. He's just into applying enough pressure that it raises you up into what you're called to be. And at times when you don't know what to do, but quitting is not an option. I feel like tonight... We need to get some resolve on two things. First and foremost, I need resolve in knowing that I am in his hands. Just like the potter has the clay in his hands. And number two, quitting is not an option. Walking away is not, it's not even on the table. That's that's not even in the list of things I would consider would be quitting. Bliss, why don't you come play? I want to do some praying. Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to Lifechurchofcolumbia.org.